Non-rock a boatus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy? Or are you going to bite? Brett, delusional. Delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me. Yeah! Yes! What? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. Well, I, yeah. got, I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when yeah. they're not. But all things should be done decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 14, 40. Welcome, everyone. Back to Apologia Radio. Luke the Bear hosting today. Pastor Jeff is off for a couple days with his family. Much needed after them surviving the Ronas for like mm-hmm. six months or something <laughs> like that. They've been... They've been they super, a long time. Long, yeah. Yeah. super sick for quite some time. So, Man, good gracious. Yes, yeah, so we'll be praying for them. But he's—they're all feeling better. They're all good. He'll be back next week. Actually, I'll be gone the next couple weeks, as I'm leaving Monday for my sabbatical to an undisclosed location. <laughs> Don't try to follow. Um, what's up? <laughs> I got Joy the girl to my left. Hello. Tell everybody about your cool water bottle you were telling us about. Yeah, oh fun. well, so um, the design we have here can be found on various products on ChopChilogens.com. Um, we have this design and another feminism is poison design, but I, I am sorry to report that you will not be able to order this specific amazing water bottle because it was made for me Only as a gift for by... people that that person likes. Is right. That, yeah. So, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's just well, you know, it's, it's not bad it to have a, a, a skill that you can just gift to people and nothing else. Yeah. Not a bad, not a bad. Only to Sheologians co-hosts in particular. (laughs) You know. But yeah, it's very cool and I'm sorry you can't have one. Uh, But you can go check out other stuff. You can. Yeah, we have other drinking. Get a shirt for my wife. We have drinking receptacles on there, but they're just not as cool as the ones. Sorry. Which is also linked to shop.apologiastudios.com. Actually, it's part of that, isn't it? It's separate. I don't. Know. I don't. I think it's ours is separate. It's completely separate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, never mind. You but get our stuff we there, have a so. shop. We yeah, Apologia Studios yeah. has a great shop. We have all with kinds lots of, of great stuff on it. Good stuff on there. So, what's up? I got Conover back with me. Good to be back, brother. You don't have any cool water bottles. Just a uh, your run of the mill disposable Bluforia yerba mate can. <laughs> I'm not advertising. Fortune, unfortunately, heard, for Apologia Studios, it's Gayaki. I heard. <laughs> I heard that they were sending Pastor Jeff a bunch of of those because they oh. caught wind of him promoting it or something. Well, that Did would be interesting because I know their worldview is very different than the one we yeah. espouse. Yeah. <laughs> so most people's 
is is yeah i had to think about the proper grammar for that yeah but it's universal that we love high energy infusion so blue foria yeah yucky um <laughs> so we've we've already announced this but i'm going to talk about it a little bit here we we have announced reform con 22 very excited for that that will be in may of 22 uh <laughs> So. It's not actually the 22nd ReformCon ever. No. It's no. just going to be taking place yeah. in the yes. year 2022. 2022. There we go. All right. <laughs> um, so, yes, we'll be, be looking for more information for that. We should have a landing page coming soon. But I will I will go ahead and announce some of the names of the speakers we tentatively have penciled in. Please. Uh, one of them is our guest I will introduce in a minute. But, of course, Pastor Jeff Durbin and... Pastor Dr. James White, and it wouldn't be ReformCon without our good friend Samson Claus, so John Samson, mm. uh, but I have got a confirmation from uh, Gary DeMar, Uncle Gary oh, will be, nice. we'll be there, David Bonson, cool, oh. cool, and Toby Sumter. Good heritage there. Yes, and Toby Sumter, so okay. we're excited, Pastor we're going to plan on having a some sort of uh, podcast row or radio room or something like mm-hmm. that, so... All of our podcasts will be will be there, and then Cross Politic will be there, and hopefully some others as well. So Sweet. be looking for that. It's going to be super duper dope. Um, and speaking of conferences, we will be at Fight Left Feast in September here in Nashville. So yes. all of our podcasts, uh-huh. which I'm very, very excited exciting. about. So us and Sheologians and mm-hmm. Provoked and uh, Cultish. We'll all be there, so very excited about that. Yeah. And End Abortion now doesn't have a podcast, but we will be there. You still get to so go. come but talk to us. Be, yes, you'll have a booth set up. As yeah. Well, so. mm-hmm. You guys, are, am I allowed to announce that you guys, what you guys are up to there? Is that public information? I don't know. I really don't know if it is. I'll just not. say that there, sheologians keep... should be involved in something else as well. Yeah, we'll have a we'll have a thing. Yeah. Um, but I think they want us to keep it light on what exactly we're doing and who is would be joining us and that kind of thing. Yes, exactly. But it'll be great. I'm sure. It will be great. I'm very excited about that. But all that to say, our other, or another our guest today, I'll try that again, <laughs> will also be a speaker there. So Andrew said, oh, Joe Boot. Forgot Joe Boot. I was oh, nice. say He's, he's already committed coming. as good. well. So. Very good. Uh, Andrew Sandlin. I'm very excited for him to be there. He already said he's going to have something loud and obnoxious and annoying or something like that right isn't that what you said brother at least that yes indeed. <laughs> at the very least it's going to be 100 proof cultural applied theology right yes yes indeed yes because the the, the theme of reform comments is going to be by the standard and so i've asked andrew to speak on culture so very excited looking forward to that which we're going to be talking about today a little bit so you can just start preparing your message now, today. I'll do it. So, what's going on with you, brother? You've been a very, very busy man. Just around uh, speaking and lecturing and preaching and teaching and writing and uh, annoying the secularists and neo-pagans and antinomians and heretics and sort of the same stuff you guys do, but extremely busy at it. So, thank you that you invited me on i appreciate apologia you guys and your godly radicalism you guys mean a lot to me so thanks well you know we feel the same about you where where are you writing any books right now or are you just i was just blocked? gonna ask that you know? <laughs> yeah i'm actually writing one on uh on the family uh, sort of controversial things i'll just mention one of them quickly 
the popular notion that uh, it's somehow inherently superior to be single, which I think oh. to be a misinterpretation of First uh, Corinthians 7 and Paul's teaching there. Right. But a number of sort, sort of things like that, as well as a book, a longer book, I hope, uh, next year or the year after on cultural Marxism, including critical race theory, but even broader than that, the sexual revolution and this whole broad way of thinking that's so dominant among the elites in our culture. Mm. It does have uh, a basis in certain very dangerous ideas for early, from early in the 20th century. So those are two things uh, I hope coming up. I know you've been speaking a lot on that the last couple of years, which I've been blessed by, so I'm excited for that. Yeah. yeah. No, I was just going to say it's exciting to see all these works starting to come forth from the church. You know, yeah. I have Vody Bauckham had a book. Owen Strachan just came out with a book, Christianity and Wokeness. Mm -hmm. Like, everyone's kind of tackling this subject because it's what the church is currently facing so to hear yes. you come at it with the you know cultural applied theology i think will be a blessing too just to have all these different inroads to address this great enemy that the church is up against and by everyone you mean the faithful few that are still standing on biblical by principles. everyone i mean <laughs> those still holding to uh I don't know, orthodoxy and orthopraxis and yeah. um trying to stand against the tidal wave of secularism yes Amen. yes so i um this has been a subject that's been, I feel like I've just been regurgitating a lot of this stuff a lot lately, but it's been heavy on my heart really since the beginning of this year. And a lot of it stems from <laughs> the chaos that was last year. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, there's a quote here from, uh, there's a Presbyterian uh, pastor, Peter Marshall. He lived from 1902 to 1949. So this is where Christ or chaos comes from. He said, the choice before us is playing Christ or chaos conviction or compromise, discipline or disintegration. I am rather tired of hearing about our rights and privileges as Americans. The time is now. It is now when we ought to hear about the duties and responsibilities of our citizenship. America's future depends upon her accepting and demonstrating God's government. This was 80 years ago. Oh, wow. That he said that. And, I mean, it couldn't be more valid now than ever. Um and so, yeah, like I was saying, like, I mean, last year was just complete chaos, right? And so just really been, just been on my heart that really everything we face, whether it be culture, whether it be problems in the church, it's, we have to either choose Christ or chaos and, and to go deeper order versus disorder. So that's kind of how I like to explain it is that in Christ is order in chaos is disorder. And, uh, and so actually I, I, this I, this was the subject or the title of my my talk I gave at the OSA thing about a month ago, and I wanted to bring Andrew on because he um, sent me some some of his material that helped me prepare this message, um, and so I was super thankful for that. But I mean, looking at culturally speaking, whether it be gay mirage, abortion, uh, pedophilia, transgenderism, transgenderism, yeah. um, the you know disintegration of the family uh the, um you name it masks <laughs> vaccines the, you name it statism. you go down the list statism communism like all of it like it's it's chaos and, and it's you know because they're not they're not choosing christ so it's it's disorderly it's chaos and then i was thinking about it today even as as i was getting ready to come here and i think we we can apply this even more further into the actual church and those that that name Christ. So you look at sin issues within the church and it's because of disorder. Mm -hmm. And you know, I went back to the, the verse I started with, we should do everything in order. So you, uh, Andrew, I love that you mentioned uh, singleness 
that's a huge problem in the church singleness and pornography and uh cowardice uh men not acting like men being childish and um pride like everything any sin in the church that's an issue that you can think about it's because it's a lack of order because we're not we're choosing chaos over christ um so before i go any further andrew i'd love to hear your thoughts on that oh you're right um I think a key here to understand is there must be some law, some, uh, and if that law is not a transcendent law, that is uh, yeah. God's law coming from outside history into history, and in our case as Christians, we know that's uh, his law in the Bible, and the Bible tells us there's also the law of creation, not natural law, but his law woven into creation, his creational norms. Mm -hmm. And of course, Christ himself, the law of Christ, all of these, not three laws, but one law with three facets. If you don't have that, then what happens eventually is people start making up their own individualized laws. And that's what's happened really increasingly in the 20th century. So basically people have become a law to themselves. Mm. We use that term sometimes autonomy, autonomous, that means self-law. Right. People become a law to themselves. And so in the things I mentioned, transgenderism to homosexuality and pedophilia and uh, abortion and cultural Marxism, Essentially, people have said, we're going to abandon God's transcendent law, and we're going to be our own law. What's ironic, and what, of course, we see increasingly happening, is when individuals start creating their own law, then those individual laws start conflicting with other individual laws. And because that's why today we see often a group of feminist lesbians fighting transgender people, mm. scratching each other's eyes out. Why? Because their own private internalized laws are conflicting with other laws. Uh, society before that, when we recognized God's law, wasn't perfect since we're all sinners, but at least people recognized God's eternal law. So when you remove that law, you get what we have today, chaos. And I must say, until we return to the law of God, this transcendent standard, we will have more and more chaos, not only culturally, but Luke, as you wisely said, the church. If anybody should know this truth, it's the church. Sadly, the church has been anti, largely, not entirely, but largely anti-nomian, that is anti-law, mm -hmm. and we're now paying a heavy price for it. Amen. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that a lot. Um, and yeah, so to take this conversation a step further, I mean, we can go a number of directions. It's kind of a broad, broad conversation, but um, one thing that's been really important to me in this conversation, and I know it's going to going to spark a conversation with you andrew because i've seen a lot of stuff coming from you lately but really it, it comes down to proper orderly worship and you know with the christian like we sh every all of our issues stem from not having proper orderly orderly worship in the self-government and then the family government and church government and so forth and so on um but it, it boils down to that and one thing when i was preparing this this talk a couple months ago it something hit me pretty profoundly I, I thought about and and we all were post-millennial right so we understand that all things that christ is ruling and reigning until all things are put under his feet the last being death and so for for the for the culture th what are they promulgating the most all these things we talked about homosexuality transgenderism abortion all that leads death, to death yeah communism yeah. statism it all yeah. leads to death and th it, it dawned to me when i was preparing this so like oh my goodness like that makes so much sense that everything that they're promoting as good revolves around death because that's the last thing that the enemy has to hold on to. Yeah. Those death. who hate me love death. Exactly. The scriptures are right. right. Yeah. 
Exactly. There's, an, there's another irony here, guys, and it's really sad. It really shows the state that these rebels are in. I think many of them even know intuitively it's going to lead to death and be destructive, but they're willing to pay that price as long as they can hang on to their autonomy. Yes, it will destroy me. Yes, it will destroy the family. Yes, it will destroy my culture. Yes, it will send me to hell, but I would rather suffer all of that as long as I can protect my little right to tell myself what to do. Mm. It's a really sad case of uh, rebellion against the sovereign God. Mm. Amen to that. So, Andrew, I know, like I, I said, you've been doing a lot on worship. I've been seeing a lot coming from you lately on worship. So I'd love to hear your take on, on that part of the conversation. Well, are you talking, first of all, more about the public uh, Sunday church worship, the, the Sunday church meeting mainly? or is that Well, I think it, involve, it, it encompasses all of that, right? So it starts yes. in the heart. It starts with proper worship in the heart. Um, like I said, you, you know, the... What a, one of the main qualifications for uh, a man a man to be an, an elder was to have order in his home, right? That's right. So, like, but you can't have order in your home if you don't have order in your own heart, and it it starts with that as an act of worship, really, to God. So it starts in the individual, um, and yes. then to the family, and then to the church government, like you were saying, in 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 um, you know, in the in the in a worship service context. Um, so yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, no, that's right. That's a good place to start. Uh, you know, uh, many of the Puritans uh, believe that uh, every uh, home was almost like a little church, not yep. what we would call today a house church, but that, uh, that every dad, um, every husband was sort of the pastor of his own little church. Exactly. And it's his responsibility to lead, uh, his family in, in, in worship, the word of God. I think one reason that there is such an utter lack of genuine worship in the church is because we don't have men uh, with wives following mm. and assisting that are properly leading and pastoring yep. their families. Exactly. Um, and, and by the way, those of us and those of you pastors watching, if you think, well, it doesn't matter, that's not necessary, as long as we do a good job in church on Sunday, it doesn't matter whether the families are doing a good job. I'm afraid you're sadly mistaken. Uh, because a church will not, the, the spiritual level of the church will never rise higher than the spiritual level of families that comprise it. Mm. I think that's an important point that's to understand. Uh, I think in the church, a real problem, something I wrote about recently, Luke, is, and I won't go into the details here because of time, but historically, the inward turn, which started largely in the 18th century, everything's turned inward to man, and everything for man is now inside out. We're not looking outside ourselves for standards like God's standard but inside ourselves, mm -hmm. That's really infected modern worship. And you'll talk to people and say, well, how was your church meeting Sunday? They'll say, well, I felt, I felt really close to the Lord and I just sort of felt the spirit moving and I just felt really, really good. And there was this really great feeling. There was nothing about whether the word of God was faithfully preached or whether the music brought glory to God, but rather how they felt. Uh, if you think about it, if the church is what it should be, it's one place that we go every Sunday, and everybody has to do the same thing together. Now think about that. Uh, most of us have our little smartphones, and most of us have our little iTunes playlist, and there's nothing wrong with that. I have songs I prefer. You have songs you prefer, but when you go to church on Sunday, you don't get to, like, bring your playlist, and you don't get to say, well, my playlist is this song, and somebody else says, well, no, I think we should sing this song. No, it's actually determined for you by the elders mm. and the leaders what it will be. When the Apostles' Creed in some churches, it's uh, confessed, or the Lord's Prayer is prayed. You don't get to say, well, I don't like the Bible's version of the Lord's Prayer, so I'm just going to change it a little bit, or I'm going to change the creed and make it my own. No, you mm -hmm. don't get to do that. 
What you're really saying is the church has a standard, and that standard is the Word of God. And the church has failed largely because of that. It hasn't returned to the Word of God. That does involve a heart given completely to God, but a heart given completely to God and seeking after Him is a heart that is utterly immersed in the external Word of God. Mm. And you cannot have true devotion and worship without that devotion to the external Word of God. We need a crying revival, a crying need for a revival of that today. Amen. That's a really good point about it coming to us from the outside of ourselves in terms of who we are, God's creatures, what we're supposed to do. Our roles and our duties are defined for us, which rubs up against the cultural normativity of autonomy, what you called self-law, and that is I'm self-created. I'm self-governing in the sense of I'm apostately self-governing because I'm trying to create um, from a blank slate and I give meaning to myself. I can, by my bare expression of will, my own choices, my own actions, make myself into whatever I want to be. And I can fashion an existence for myself um, apart from the norms of God's law, his word of command and promise, I don't have to have an external meaning tell me what to be. Uh, I am autonomous, self-creating, and therefore um, I can be whatever I want. I don't have to rely on anything or anyone else to tell me what to be, and that rubs up right against um, this whole thing. Mm. I'm not self-defined. I have a role, and it's my job as a creature of God to live in obedience to that. Right. And that what you and what you described there, actually, that first part when you were talking was so powerful. That actually was the satanic appeal in Genesis three. Eve, you get to decide for yourself. To know good and evil is to determine good and evil. You get to decide for yourself what is right and wrong. You get to be autonomous. Now think about this: when God created man and woman, even before the fall, He didn't say, "Well, you're innocent and you're not sinful, so you can figure out on your own what's right and wrong." Hmm. Think about that for a minute. Even before sin entered the world, they needed an external law to tell them what was right and wrong. Imagine then after the fall, people saying, I think I can figure this out on my own. No, I'm afraid that is really the step to apostasy. And you can read all about it in Romans 1. And you can look at the effects of that thinking in our culture today. That's so good. I'm so glad you brought up Genesis 2 because I was going to go into, you know, Zach, you talked about just proper roles. And again, that has to do with order created by god mm-hmm. um and so going back to the fall so before i before i get to there i i was i've been listening to a series on uh uh biblical manhood i can't remember the name of it but there was a, a statistic uh that he said basically it was something along the lines of if it, so if you have an unbelieving family and the the wife or the mother comes to christ 17 percent of the time the rest of the family follows but, but if the the husband comes to Christ, it's 93%. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so, um, <laughs> it's almost like this is, uh, there's something to this. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, I was just thinking today on the way in, I was listening to that series and, you know, going back to, to the garden and everyone of course wants to blame Eve. And I want joy to jump in here when we get to this, but like but, you know, everyone wants to blame Eve, right. For the fall. And of course it's like, well, actually, it's Adam's fault because he didn't have he didn't have proper order in his household. If he would have been leading his household according to God's standards, you know, he would not have allowed his wife to do that. And most likely he was sitting right there 
watching her, you know, like he, he was complicit in that. So like, it just all goes back to again, proper order. And we have to have men that are strong, grounded in scripture and have proper worship in their own lives. And then are leading their households, um, in proper orderly worship. Um, but anyways, I want, I'd love to hear, cause I mean, a lot of this has to do with feminism and your bottle right oh, there sure. and, and yeah. CRT and everything you guys do on, on Sheologians. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, I guess there's a lot to say. Yeah, it's very broad. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think to an extent it does have to do with, so we all, so we're talking about roles that come from outside of ourselves, which means that God has given us all work to do. And some of our work is unique from other people's work. Um, but when, so like you, you are fundamentally unable to fulfill your role if you are unwilling to do the work involved in that role. And um, this kind of cross section of what you were saying earlier, but basically if everyone has decided that their only job on this planet is to just self-actualize right. and the only point of it is just the journey mm-hmm. then you really do you end up with kind of a like a disconnected well orderless you're using the word chaos mm. so just this totally disordered just ball of people all deciding um who they are and figuring that out and yeah and that's a well that's very very secular <laughs> um but it yeah. you know it comes philosophers have talked about this forever and ever um and for some reason the church jumped on and started believing that mm-hmm. this the point of your life is your journey like your own personal journey yeah. and Whatever fulfills you. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's how, and yeah, well, so really, I mean, obviously who could have, who could have predicted that a breakdown of that first sphere would just totally affect everything else. You're, you know, once you are unable to govern yourself because you just think you're figuring everything out and that's your only role on this planet is to like figure out who you are and tap into that. Yeah. Um, That's really pagan (laughs) um but then you know then you're not requiring uh so if you're you know especially if you're a husband you're the only thing you're requiring of your wife is that she do the same thing not that she help you with your work which is what she's supposed to be doing um and then the same to your kids and then that extends to your church as well and then you have a group of people who are supposed to be existing in community with one another and sanctifying each other and sharpening each other. And they're all just hanging out every Sunday, figuring out their own existence. Like, I don't know. It's just very, um, it's, it's, uh, I get, it's kind of, it's immature, I guess is Mm. the word that I'm thinking of. It, it's, it doesn't have any, uh, any, uh, passion or direction. It's just kind of, uh, stale and then at the end when you die you hope you I don't and I don't really know what the, I guess what the goal is of actualizing is it just that I guess we're just not thinking about when we die I think I think a good illustration of it is you know obviously we have ministry in the area of abortion and the, you know the fundamental theology is not that there's a right or wrong the ultimate right is that I get to decide 
Right. It's not yeah. whether it's good or bad. What's ultimately good is that I chose it. Right. And that's the right. point is autonomy is the end in and of itself. Yeah, that was both of you. That was so beautifully put. I wish every minister in America, Joy, could have heard you. Not that you could have preached it on their pulpit. <laughs> right. Agreed. But, <laughs> but that they would hear what you said. That was for sure. That really is a fundamental tenet of leftism. And that's why the leading leftists, uh, cultural Marxists, if you read them, uh, William Reich, I was just reading recently, said it's not possible to have the just society without destroying the family. Mm-hmm. Because what does the family, mm-hmm. if you think about it historically, the family, whenever you have a family, you're basically giving up on radical individualism and autonomy. The husband says, I'm sacrificing myself for a wife and also for children. When God says, God gives them, the wife says, I'm sacrificing myself for a husband and the other members. I mean, it's constantly this effort of self-sacrifice. Yeah. Well, that radically conflicts, of course, with autonomy and individualism. So to have autonomy and individualism, the just society, they would say, you have to destroy the family. And that's what's happening today. And I think, Joy, one point you made was really good, is for this to get inside the doors of the church. And of course, you even hear sermons. Many of the sermons today are sermons, self-actualization sermons. The gospel is basically, Jesus is calling you to do good things with your life. Come to Jesus. He can make you be everything you want to be. Now, I'm afraid I don't really read that in the Bible. You have to give up yourself and your life to follow the Lord. Oh, he'll give you great things that you can't even imagine, but it won't be on your own terms. And I think for this sort of self-actualization philosophy and autonomous philosophy to enter the church, it too is a form of apostasy. We guys were in desperate need of revival on this. Other things too, but you've touched on one of the vital ones. Hmm. Well, like you said, Luke, it's only in the man that you quoted, the the Presbyterian pastor mm-hmm. 80 years ago, yeah. put his finger right on it. The only thing that will bridge the gap between tyranny and anarchy is the establishment of God's government. Yeah. Because that's the only thing big enough to handle those two extremes. Right. If you're absent that and you just have rugged individualism, people doing whatever they view as right in their own eyes, mm-hmm. that's a problem. And then on the other end of the spectrum, if man becomes too enlarged, absolutized in the strong arm of the state, you need the uh, top-down compulsion yeah. in order to bring about mm-hmm. self-government, which isn't real self-government, right. no. it's exactly. coercion. Exactly. And right. so you're either gonna be governed and ruled by the Bible or the bayonet. <laughs> it's gonna right. be God's word inside of you, or it's gonna be the strong arm of man trying to compel a false um, obedience and a false unity and all of these other things. But without God's government, there's there's nothing to bridge that gap. So you mean like the government making you wear a mask to do cor- to do quarantining? Yeah, that would be an example of, yeah. I think, what we're talking about is, yeah. you know, what they would call loving your neighbor, yeah. right, which runs counter to the law of God itself. Therefore, it's not loving to neighbor. Right. <laughs> so. Right. Well, and good. just the people who we get with, like, with no order, you just... I suppose you just, uh, well, everything just, nothing becomes, no, nothing is natural. Everything is just like social norms. Yes. So Everything's you, artificial. Right. right. So it's just something you can, humans created and can tear it down like when it's no longer appropriate or when we've evolved to a sufficient or it's no level to know. Yeah. So yeah. it's almost as though, um, I don't, I don't know, the, the government has just become, it's like, you know, let's get a reading on what all these random people who are all just doing their own thing 
mostly want and then that's what we'll enforce and that's um, why it's necessary i interrupted you oh no I'm you're sorry. fine go ahead and that's why it's necessary for status to destroy or at least marginalize the family, family right, right. Business. exactly because they're competing governments yeah they're competing yep. authorities and as long as people have loyalty as the bible says they should not unlimited loyalty but measured loyalty to the church to the family to businesses to friendships to other people that's going to threaten the absolute authority of the state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's why the state. A lot of this, I'm not sure about Arizona, but we're hearing here more and more about reimposed mask mandates. Yeah, uh, this is this all has nothing to do with health. This has to do with the exercise of statist power. That's what mm. all this has to do. It's not about health at all. Right. That's what happens. There has to be this destruction of competitors. And that's what's going on. By the way, Joy, what you said was so true about everything has to be artificial, constructed. Mm -hmm. You read what they say. I was reading some of the uh, surrealists recently. They said, we must war on nature. We must never say that nature can dictate to us. We dictate to nature. Right. Well, that's simply another way of saying we're going to dictate to God. Right. We don't care about his standards. So this notion of the artificial creation of the person, artificial creation of culture, artificial creation of the family, whatever it is, the artificial creation of association, everything must be constructed by man and everything can be torn down by man. That's just utter autonomy as it relates to wow. all of life. That's really good. <laughs> that's, that's so good. And I kind of, I was going to take the conversation to l turn that's it perfect. a little bit. Yes, that's it's perfect. A perfect um, so, you know, I again, going back to worship, I'm going to kind of tie this together here, but like, as Christians, we we know what worship looks like, at least what it should look like. Um, you know, we we can go to, to God's objective word for that. Um, but I think what what we miss a lot as Christians is the fact that this is a battle for worship, and the culture has their own worship, right? And this is just a battle for that. And this is where I I had got some stuff from Andrew. Really, I love one thing you said that that everywhere you look, essentially, it's a cosmic war zone. Um, and the, the culture is, is worship is, you know, whether it be autonomy, whether it be comfort, um, like they have their own idols, their own gods that they're worshiping. And it's, it's a, like you said, Andrew, a cosmic war zone for, um, for those, for who will win, who, who will be the, the last God standing. Obviously we know mm -hmm. who that's going to be. Um, but, and I have, I have some, I have my notes up here. I want to just go through a couple of things real quick and then I want to hear what you think Andrew it and I will say from the from the beginning I, I did steal a lot of this from Doug Wilson so I I had to give him credit well, you're actually guy. Not, you're I'm actually as long not as stealing you're not it. exactly yeah. you're exactly. attributing I mean, some of it to him yeah. if I was elected the head of the SBC I wouldn't have to give <laughs> uh, that's not going to happen anytime soon Luke that's... I can assure you <laughs> sorry, yeah. sorry. They, they don't want I'm you at worried. the forefront of that <laughs> shit um, but yeah, okay. So, so here's a couple things I want to say is like for the believer worship starts with God and it's ruled by order, right? We've established that, but for the unbeliever worship starts with chaos and is ruled by apparent order. And we all know believer and unbeliever alike that the world is broken and needs to be repaired. So this problem then for the Christian is that it's ethical, right? The world is broken because of sin and rebellion. Civilization is fragile because of the sinful heart of man. The only solution, as we all know, is the gospel. And like I've been saying, right orderly worship. The problem for the unbeliever is that civilization is also fragile, but because of chaos and structural defect, the world is built upon a foundation of chaos. So the unbeliever has no ultimate ultimate standard of order. His only hope is to drive things back further into chaos, hoping to get lucky 
for better order on the next go around. So if you think about it from that angle, like they, the more chaotic it becomes, uh, the the more hope they have that you know they can they can start a new civilization according to their subjective standard of what they think apparent order looks like. Yeah, he's right. Chaos always serves the the un- the rebellious unbeliever very well. Uh, I think it's an important point I was going to make a minute ago. I think it was Connor or somebody, maybe Zach, I'm not sure who exactly is there, but a great point. The uniqueness of Christianity is that it sees the equal ultimacy of the one and the many, as Van Til pointed out. And that's why on the one hand, we can have a, a unity, a basic unity that doesn't turn into tyranny, because we also believe in the many, the mm-hmm. one and the three. There is one God, and yet there are three persons, and yet only one God, not three gods. And so this there's an equal ultimacy here. You say, well, is God ultimately more one or ultimately more three? And we say, neither. Hmm. He is equally one and three. And therefore, when you apply this in society, it's just so beautiful. Not perfect, because we're still sinful people, but so beautiful and, and correct. We can have a great deal of diversity and a great deal of individual uniqueness under God's authority, because everything is bound to this one unity of the triune God, and yet he permits and encourages diversity within that unity. But you don't have that in any other society. Mm. In Islam, for example, it's a very strong unified society. And there you have just sort of the top-down crushing everything uh, that seems uh, diverse in a legitimate sense. And then, of course, in other societies, but radically Western societies, everything is just the opposite. Uh, there's, uh, as you were quoting there, everybody's his own little god, and there's no single unifying factor at all, except the unifying factor that there's no unifying factor. And that's what we live in today, the kind of world we live in. By the way, having this show and rethinking about these conceptual issues is important. Churches and pastors need to be thinking about this, because how you think about this will impact your entire ministry. Yes. You can't just say, well, we're not going to deal with these conceptual, philosophical, or theological issues, because that's way above us. Well, what you're really saying is you're going to import some other alien uh, conceptual idea that's going to impact your Mm. ministry. That's why we have to be governed by Christian presuppositions. Mm. Amen. Thank That's you good. That. I, I mean, I totally agreed. As our mutual friend, uh, Joe Boot, would say, when you privatize the faith or you make the Bible a church book, you call forth the secularization of the world. That's right. So yep. when you're just um, cons- concerned with reforming the individual and the family and the church, um, in many ways you're calling forth chaos and secularizing um, the world because you refuse to bring the word of God and God's standards to bear on it. And as we know, if we're talking about Christ and chaos, you know, Colossians 1 tells us that by him all things were created. Amen. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So if it was made by him, then it finds not only its origin, but its continued existence Mm -hmm. in him. It's not running under its own power. And then it also exists for him. In other words, he's the ultimate end for which it is destined. And if all things fall under that category, then that means that nothing can be understood rightly or apart from him. All things must find their coherence. They have to cohere in Christ because he is not the man of artificial unity. He is the man in whom God is uniting heaven and earth again, which is the meaning of the gospel. It's not just forgiveness of sins and personal salvation. It's the reconciliation, as it says in Colossians 1, of all things on earth 
and in heaven by which he made peace by the blood of his cross. And so not only do we have to have these things in place, but we have to be prepared to proclaim that kind of cosmically um, reconciled gospel, Mm. what Jesus has actually accomplished on the cross. Because if we're talking about, you know, the world being secularized, we really have to take a long look in the mirror and understand that we have had a large part to play in that because for some reason we believed in spheres of authority that Christ's word doesn't have anything to say to, but in reality it was made by him. It doesn't run under its own power and it exists for him, which includes every authority above which he sits as the reigning king. And so if we're not applying his word, his lordship to every area of life, then we're really being unfaithful and have a big hand in this chaos that we see all around us. Right. At some point we, at some point we stopped looking to the Bible to figure out Mm -hmm. like, so when we had the question somewhere along the line, someone's church members or whoever, they were like, well, who are we? And instead of being like, what does the Bible say about man and about you as someone who's saved? Um, instead of doing that, we were like, well, you know, everyone has a seat at the table, so that's up to you to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, we do we do promote love here, and we're sort of just like enjoy moral goodness. And, right. um, and so that's what we promote here. But at some point, because... If you read the Bible and if you renew your mind, you know. If you're under the instruction of someone who's teaching the Bible, you unmistakably know who man is, what he's doing here, what is the purpose of this earth, what is the purpose of, uh, you know, all the things in it. But we don't know the, the answers to those questions, largely. And so, and then no one, no one even... S- taught like somewhere along the line we stopped teaching that even everything you'd need to know is in the bible Mm. and you know a few decades of that and here we go Mm -hmm. churches churches full of people who think that they are they are their journey like this is just right you know like my journey is what glorifies god he Mm. Like he saved me and that's it, but he doesn't have anything else to say for me. He doesn't, uh, I can just, uh, jump into the, the, the vast open space of philosophical thought about who, what humans are and what their point is here. And, and, you know, uh, who am I to say that anyone's really wrong about that? Because we're all just in the big open vast pool and Mm. hanging out. But I don't know, but it's all, it just shows that, uh, we're not in scripture. If yeah. we were in, if you read a book every day, you're probably going to talk about it a lot. People, eventually it's going to become apparent. People are going to be like, oh, you've been reading this book a lot because I can tell yeah. that you really know what's inside of it. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, but we just, like, if you yell, hey, like, to the Christian church, like, so, like, who is Jesus? And they just yell back, like, he was a really nice guy. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, where where did you learn that? Right. Probably not the Bible. Right. Um, if that's all you have to say, I'm certain he was nice. Um, but right. but you know, like our response, like 
the response of a group of people can tell you if like what they've been looking into to um, form their thoughts and opinions. And, and it's just very obvious that the Bible has not been involved Mm. uh, in a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think even just uh, scripture meditation on scripture, um, the print, the core principles are missing and if you're reading your Bible there, they won't be missing, right. I guess, is what I'm trying to say. That's great. Joy, I, I agree with everything emphatically with what you just said. And I'd like to say we have right before our eyes, particularly a year ago. In uh, 2020, we saw a just dramatic, utter failure on the whole of churches as a yep. result of the whole status coronavirus yep. drama. And then, of course, the Black Lives Matter as a result of the George Floyd killing and the cancel culture and the critical race theory, all of this coming at once, and the church, we look at them and we see this bankruptcy, but I think we can make a mistake. I don't think it's so much we saw the failure as we saw a church that had failed decades before, and we just saw the reality, the external exhibition of the failure. It took this uh, group, this confluence of crises to demonstrate the bankruptcy of Mm. the church because they don't have this full orb Christian thinking and acting joy that you just so eloquently described man that's that's so good brother i appreciate that so i'm gonna go back to some of the stuff that you sent me here and again this is going to tie everything together here but without without getting us too far off track because this can get us into a whole nother a whole nother conversation about gnosticism and two kingdom and all that stuff but basically what what you just described andrew is the church in our culture has essentially uh, formed a, a dichotomy uh, of Christ's lordship, right? So a lot of the church would, of course, say that, you know, Christ has lordship over your own life, over your own government, family government, church government. But when it comes to civil government, like, that's that's yeah. something different. And that's what we you just described. That's what we experienced in 2020 is the church saying, oh, no, they said we can't meet and that we can't wear masks, so we got to obey. And... um so one thing, one thing that you sent to me, which I, I honestly, I don't know if I ever caught this before. It's first John three, eight. It says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Um, you know, and so we, as Christians, are like, well, Christ came to save us. It's like, well, it's more than that. He yeah. came to, came to destroy the works of the devil. And uh, I'm going to quote you here, Andrew. You said, Christ's work on the cross was designed to reverse the effects of sin in every single area of life and thought and culture, including civil government. And so we, as the church, have completely missed that. We've lost that because we've, again, said Christ has, has, has Lord over my life, but it stops at church, the church level. It doesn't go any further than that. And, of course, Scripture says the exact opposite of that. Mm. Yeah, a metaphor that I use, you may have seen, Luke, is um, maybe you, some of you guys have been to London, have seen their famous double-decker tour buses, you know. Uh-huh. I think they're red. You know, mm-hmm. you get on the tour bus, and everybody, it seems, that they've not been on one of the bus before, they always want to run, oh, I want to run to the upper deck. Well, much the same way, the church has sort of this double-decker view of reality, that there's the upper deck of my personal relationship to the Lord and my prayer life and perhaps my going to church on Sunday and my warm Christian fellowship. That's sort of the higher uh, that's closer to the sky, closer to Jesus. But the lower deck, that's, you know, sort of dirty things. It may not be bad, but they're not that important. Politics and 
uh, education and art, the whole issue of uh, the pro-life issue. Yeah, it's okay, but, and human sexuality, yeah, we wouldn't support some of the bad stuff, but that's not what we're really all about. I think what they forget is the bus driver is always on the first deck. And the bus is always taking them away from where to places they should never be. They don't recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord of all things. And I think, Connor, you said it well so beautifully a few minutes ago. The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't that the Lord is saving a few, uh, a few elect people and getting us ready for heaven. Thank God that's also true. The gospel, the euangelion, is the good news that God in Christ is doing away not only with the penalty of sin, but also with the power and pleasure of sin, and that he's purging sin gradually throughout the earth. And of course, his church in preaching the gospel, living the gospel, uh, conforming to the law of God, are part of that. We're co-laborers. Paul uses that language in his epistles, co-laborers. So do people say, well, when you folks like the pro-life stuff that Apologia does, you say, well, I know, fr frankly, I know some people say, well, that's okay. I guess somebody has to do it, but I sure wish they'd get back to the gospel. <laughs> See, that is the gospel. Exactly. That is an aspect of the gospel. And for too long, the Church of Jesus Christ has truncated the gospel and reduced it to individual soteriology. That is, my individually going to heaven when I die and living a godly life here. But the fact is, that's not the same thing as the gospel. The gospel can't be reduced to individual soteriology. So to influence all of life for the glory of God on the basis of the Word of God, by the power of the Spirit of God, because of Christ's atoning death and resurrection. Yeah, I said a lot there, but all of that is designed to reorient the world, and that, in a nutshell, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Man, that I don't have the quote pulled up, but I use it's a quote from you I use a lot, actually, when I'm when I'm doing my abortion talks for an abortion now, and it goes right along that where you know you're you're like if you're out preaching at the mills it's the gospel you're that's you're gospel put, preaching exactly, amen legislating doing righteous legislation that's the gospel like you know there's a whole list of things you go through and i, I love that quote um because like you said the, our view of the gospel is so truncated it's it's much much more vast much broader than just individual salvation and includes the reconciliation of all things to christ mm. and that's where the church has failed um, I think you were uh, maybe quoting, mentioning Joe Bird, Joe Bird earlier. He made a great point. He says, all of the, let's just take politics. He says, all these pastors that say, I don't want politics to take over our church, so I'm not going to preach on any political issues. Their motive may be good, but they're going to be utter failures. Yeah. Because if they don't preach in politics, they're not going to keep politics out of their church. Their church members will get their political views from other places, yeah. like from CNN and Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. So they are going to be political. <laughs> They are going to be political. The question is whether they're going to be biblically political or anti-biblically political. Uh, I just, I just, I just saw a meme today. You speaking of Nancy Pelosi that made me laugh really hard, and it was Donald Trump. They had like a little, like a little bubble next to Nancy Pelosi. He's like, "Hey, did you, did you fall from heaven?" And she's like, "No." Why? And he's like, "Because you remind me of Lucifer." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my goodness. It, was, it was like the best one I've seen in a long, <laughs> long time. Pickup um, lines gone wrong. Oh my right gosh, there. it was so good. But uh, <laughs> what I was going to say was, uh, going back to Joe Boot, I I've stole this from him. But like, politics is nothing more than legislative morality. That's right. So the question is, whose morality are we going to legislate? Yeah. And the right. church has 
for far too long said, well, we're not going to get involved there. So guess what? What morality has been legislated? Not that of the of the Bible. That's right. And not just politics. Joyce said something earlier about the church's self-actualization. Uh, chief culprit here was when, oh, about mm, 80, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, the church began to buy into premises of secular psychology. I mean, there was nothing, there was yeah. no psychology in the 19th century. It wasn't around then. It was invented early in the 20th century by mm. a bunch of atheists and secularists like Freud and Jung and others. Well, what do pastors today see? They, a, a difficult issue comes up. Somebody has mental problems. And of course, we know they can't have because of sin. And they say, well, I'm a minister. I'm not really equipped to deal with this. So we're going mm -hmm. to send you to a secular psychologist. They're really qualified to help you with this. Mm -hmm. Well, 150 years ago, and certainly the Puritans, who were doctors of the soul, that's what they were known for, knew the Word of God well enough. They had a biblical worldview that they could address these things as the Word of God, either directly or indirectly, would address them. That's one main way that the church has bought into this sort of self-actualization worldview that Joy so eloquently expressed there. That's one way, not just politics, but also psychology. And this is true, by the way, across the board. And all of these other areas, these are these are down on the lower deck of the bus, and the church is all up having sort of a heavenly huddle, a little party up on the top deck of the bus, and the devil, who's the bus driver, is driving the bus over the cliff into hell mm. while they're having a little party. That's essentially what's been going on. Mm. You know, it's so that's interesting because so that's the basis of uh, Jay Adams' book, Competent to Counsel, right? Yes. Is that every right. believer is competent because they have the scriptures. So that's kind of a slight indictment on a pastor today who would say, oh, I'm not equipped to deal with this. Well, what does that say about your knowledge of the word? Mm. That's right. right. Yeah, well, and you that's what, it goes back to that, like, if you ask someone a question and they just, like, give you the wrong answer back, it's like... You don't know what you're talking about and you're a shepherd of yeah. souls right. like it's right. concerning it's very concerning and and not to say that none of them know the bible but effect even those that are studied in the scriptures are they're effectively saying like well we kind of deal with bible stuff that may not be your journey that may mm. not be like what's your thing to mm. help you and heal you right and that's not to say like that there aren't physical elements and physiological oh, yeah. things that need oh, to be I looked at yeah. at all. Yeah, I'm not saying that the scriptures will necessarily, um, you know, fix those things. Obviously, we need to take a holistic view of the human person. Well, uh, and yeah. a lot of a lot of like the fathers of psychology, they, many of them made observations that are totally, you know, they're they're just making observations of nature and humans, which is which is all it's governed already. Right, right. <laughs> so they weren't right. inaccurate. Not all of their observations were inaccurate. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, they there are certainly some observations they made that were just evil mm -hmm. and totally <laughs> off. Word. But Absolutely. yeah, the world, the problem is they could get many things right because of common grace, but it was set in a bad worldview context. Right. And uh, you're right. If somebody breaks a leg, you don't sit down and say, I'm going to read Psalm 23 and you'll get all better. We mm -hmm. don't say that. <laughs> We obviously take them to a doctor because mm -hmm. while modern medicine grew out of a Christian worldview, whether the doctor that you see as a Christian, he has to act according to the precepts of a broad Christian worldview, even to heal your leg yeah. because of the nature. But no, that's that's exactly right. Todd Number White might do that, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. man. I have a funny Todd White story as, as we're closing up here. Um, so it's it's a well-known thing that todd white takes like month-long sabbaticals on the island of Kauai. 
every year. Well, at least used to for How a while. can I get in on that? I mean, is, is I there a way to get in on that? <laughs> I know, right? So, so Pastor Jeff had actually ran into him a couple times um, there. And, you know, I guess he's a really sweet, sweet guy and... I hope that the repentance he showed last last year. Yeah, I was going to say was I genuine. Didn't, he... didn't get an update on yeah. that. Yeah, I've been thinking a while, but yeah. um, you know, I guess he's a real sweet guy and everything. But I, so <laughs> we were out there once. He was out there at the same time. I didn't actually meet him, but I had a, a truck, a rental truck, and was driving up on the beach for something, and my truck like hit like a soft spot in the sand and just sank, and like got stuck, and I'm like, like it was not getting out right. And so I'm sitting here in the driver's seat. I got all these guys trying to help me get this thing out. And, you know, I'm obviously frustrated. Got my window down. And this probably 12 or 13-year-old girl walks up to my window real sweet and just says, do you know Jesus? And it was Ty White's daughter. And I'm like, <laughs> and I just was like, actually, I do. But this isn't the best time to have this conversation. <laughs> You know, but it was just so funny. She was super sweet and like she wanted to tell me about Jesus, but I'm like, you know, maybe you should have some more tact about when you talk to people about Jesus because right ready. now I'm ready to like punch a hole in this truck. Like, she was ready in season and out of season. She set the trap. She yeah. set the trap. I yeah. think I said to her, I was like, you're Todd White's daughter, aren't you? She's like, yes, I am. And I was like, That's my Todd White story. I'm sticking to it. Yeah. Anyways. Glad you shared that. Yeah. It was, I laugh at it now. At the time, I wasn't laughing. <laughs> um, so we'll go ahead and go ahead and wrap up here. I know it's we've had you on for a while, brother. Anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, you know, there's something that, that we talked about God's law, and uh, if we don't operate according to God's law, we'll live in chaos. I was reading something by a, uh, a noted Pentecostal, believe it or not, Oswald Chambers, wouldn't agree with all of his theology, but he said something very arresting one time. He says, One reason we as Christians get discouraged is because we don't brood on God's viewpoint. Mm. That was very, very weighty. If we spend our time brooding on God's viewpoint, and where will we find that? Of course, in the Word of God. If we brood on the Word of God, and we think about it, meditate on it, and determine to live according to it, it's going according to Romans chapter 12, one, transform our mind, our decision-making, everything we see will be shaped by the Word of God. That'll change our churches, that'll, our families first, our individual lives first, then our churches, our families, then our churches, and then the wider society. But yeah. if we're not if we're not biblically saturated, then our minds will be weak. They'll constantly be a prey to secular and neo-pagan thinking, and the church will continue to fail. It all starts with submersion in and obedience to the Word of God. Amen. Anything you guys want to add? I don't think so. I think that was a pretty fitting way to end it right there. Joy, anything? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, we've we been, Sheologians Book Club's reading a book called Fair Sunshine about the Scottish Covenanters, Ooh. and it's really been hitting me, um, well, because you're seeing, like, a glimpse into this very, like, somber period of time, and you're getting these, like, very eloquent speeches that these men gave right before they died, or, yeah. um, uh, I don't know, I just, the strength that... Um, a lot of them show uh, in a time, not just like a time of trial, but like you're you're about to die or your mm -hmm. whole family just died or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and it's not just an accident that they respond with just utter faithfulness and obedience right. and praising God and saying yeah. like, God, God doesn't, he didn't wrong me. 
that doesn't just happen mm. by accident. And it's because they were what you were just talking about was just so they were so just like just constantly meditating on the scriptures and they were there and they were like battle ready. Yeah. Amen. That's great. You think about Jesus at the most traumatic yeah. time of his life. Yeah hanging there on the cross and scripture is pouring out of right. him. My yeah. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great point, Joy. And I think on the flip side of that, I would say it's no accident that the church has responded to 2020 the way it has. Right. Because yeah. the, the reverse of, of the covenanters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, the way to put this, uh, guys, the way to put this is the evil around us today, the cultural evil, is so perverse and so powerful that nothing less than a full-orbed, red-blooded Christianity can defeat it. The kind of Christianity that's popular today cannot defeat the culture that is arrayed against us today. Mm. Amen to that. And I saw, I did the Covenanters tour in, in Edinburgh. I saw the Scottish Covenant signed by the blood of the martyrs. Uh, we haven't experienced anything close to that. And, and, and you know, I've been saying for a while that God's pruning his church. He's building Gideon's army right now. And the, the chaff is being <laughs> blown away. So, you know, we, we have a ways to go before we experience true persecution. But we, we need to, as Joy said, it, it needs to be no accident that our offspring and generations after us uh, will sign a covenant in blood and, and die for for uh, their faith in Christ. So thank you, brother, so much for being on today. As always, it's a blessing. Guys. And look forward to having you on again another time. You bet. God bless you guys. Great love to you all. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Dr. Salem. Okay. All right, guys. Well, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you again to all of our supporters on All Access. We can't do this without you. I know we say that all the time, and I don't ever want it to get old, but it's the truth. And uh, thank you for your support for End Abortion Now. We have a lot of exciting things coming up throughout this year yet. And as yes, we're starting to plan for 22, um, Zach's going to be going to a lot of the big conferences. You get, you're scheduled to go to G3 mm -hmm. and Founders and yep. Fight Left Fight Feast. Left East, yep. um, and so if you guys are able to make out to those, um, be watching for him. Come, al come, on, come along and say hello is what I was trying to say. I thought come you were just going to say, come on, come on, come on, come on, Harris. But yeah, if you see him, come on. Come on to the booth. <laughs> oh, on that note, we are out. Peace out. Girl Scout.